Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon. This is Brian Perkins, and you have tuned in to the Perkins Platform, the monthly forum to discuss education leadership issues uh, in public schools and charter schools alike. Um, today's show is a recap over the last year. We've had a, a variety of topics, um, a lot of hosts, uh, guests that have come in and, and given us really good information on the issues faced by leaders in public school settings. And so today I'm going to just spend some time with you discussing some of those issues and from my perspective. All year we've heard from uh, some of the experts in the field, and um, today I've decided to take this opportunity to share my view with you on what we can do and do differently. Um, some of the top headlines in this past year include things like the uh, teacher strike in Chicago. Um, we had um, the Newtown tragedy, um, and uh, uh, followed by uh, No Child Left Behind waivers, and all of these events in, in one way or another uh, changed the landscape of public education. Um, one of the things that uh, started out in the school year with the uh, strike of the Chicago public teachers really had to do with some of the the issues that we've been grappling with in public education for a long time, uh, not to mention uh, teacher pay, uh, but also uh, the connection uh, between uh, teacher pay, teacher um, tenure, um, school day uh, length, and the connection to um, the uh, achievement of students. Um, all over the country there have been uh, experiments to connect how much a teacher is paid, how uh, they are evaluated based on student achievement. And we know um, uh, through the research, we, we know and understand that there are many, many factors uh, that uh, impact academic achievement from, from a student. And But uh, certainly one that consistently comes up as an important factor and the one that has the most impact on student achievement is the quality of a teacher. Uh, there are others, and I'll talk about that, but they're uh, consistent in the research that the quality of the teacher most greatly impacts the uh, academic achievement in, in a classroom. And the question comes up for us time and time again, what do we do to improve the quality of a teacher. Um, as a former board member, I, um, I know and have experienced um, uh, the pressures that come from uh, ever-dwindling uh, supply of resources uh, to compensate teachers. Um, and so you, you are caught balancing um, the equation against um, or veteran teachers who obviously will get higher pay and uh, newer teachers who are less experienced um, with lower pay. And um, But I don't want those of you listening to think I'm equating uh, uh, more years of service to equal better teacher quality. Um, and in fact, 
we we know that that's not the case, uh, both practically speaking and from the research. But I think uh, first and foremost, our um, real um, dent that will happen um, in uh, making an impact on the quality of the teacher actually begins with pre-service education um, and teacher education as we know it, where teachers uh, at the undergraduate level uh, receive a different kind of educational experience. Now, I started my career in education um, at the university level um, in teacher education. And one of the real disconnects for me uh, immediately was the amount of time actually dedicated in coursework and, and in practice from a clinical point of view, uh, uh, dedicated to very important topics. And one such topic that comes up to me is education psychology. Uh, in most um, university, this is, universities, this is one class in a teacher preparation program. Um, one class where a student learns how to um, grade tests, how to um, uh, design assessments for students, interim assessments uh, for students, um, and also understand how the brain works, um, or at least an attempt to understand how the brain works um, at, a, at a level um, from K to 12. Um, and, and I think just describing just those few topics, you understand how difficult it would be for someone to get that all in a 15-week, 36-hour uh, semester course, something as important as understanding what essentially is cognitive psychology. And we give students one class in cognitive psychology to understand how students learn not to mention how students learn in math versus how they learn uh, language uh, acquisition, not to mention how they uh, learn um, uh, critical thinking skills and on and on, that we, we really need to look at how much emphasis we place in the right, uh, right places. And I think we start by uh, restructuring teacher education to be more clinical in nature, let me explain what I mean by that. In, in, in medical education, day one across all medical schools in the country generally, there's a course that students have in common, and that course is called gross anatomy. What gross anatomy represents is the, the, the school of medicine saying to the, the student, here is the client that you will be faced with for the rest of your career. Now, be it a cadaver in this case, but it is in structure and form your client. We want you to learn everything that you get in your medical education in context. And often what we do in teacher education is void of context. We, we give students a lot of theory, um, and it is not often until the last year of a, um, of a teacher pre-service education do teachers actually come in contact with students. Uh, now, there are some programs that even more, uh, more so the 
um, with with standards changing, with NCATE standards, that they're pressing for more interaction and more clinical, um, but still not at the beginning. And so I think if we adopt a more clinical model, we will afford students the opportunity to, to understand if we're if they're learning about uh, teaching reading and writing in the content areas, if they are exposed to students who are struggling and students who are successful also at these um, or in these uh, subjects very early on, they will become familiar or more familiar and and more easily diagnose uh, these these um, uh, conditions and and strengths um, as we as they progress in their career. Uh, one uh, really interesting development that has happened and really been a source of a lot of controversy, um, particularly in the last years, the Common Core State Standards. And um, I've heard on both sides of the argument uh, that um, Common Core is good and on another side it is, it is bad. And I think just to put it in perspective, one that I think um, for a long time our country has resisted uh, national standards. Um, and, and for good reason, that there are different contexts, uh, as, as large as the United States uh, is, that we have to understand uh, um, cultural, local cultural context. And, and so that has been really the source of, of, uh, of the resistance, values about what people think is important um, across the country differs from New York to California. I think uh, um, not uh, dramatically different, but at different levels there are um, key uh, issues um, that, that individuals feel are not uh, relevant. And so what Common Core does is puts forth a set of standards. What's different about this than, say, from the top down state standards is that Common Core, at least in its um, conception, um, was supposed to bubble up from the states. It was supposed to be um, the in states would have input and and say what they agreed to and what they thought were good standards, and that would establish a kind of national um, criteria where we would know um, what students needed to learn and at what levels. Um, one really important um, part of this is that Setting standards and setting a goal without uh, significant or um, uh, adequate um, consideration of what it will take to to get those get to that goal um, is an important flaw of of Common Core, and I liken it to um, getting in your car and saying that you're headed to a destination 100 miles out without calculating how much gas you'll need. Uh, the, um, we certainly have the path laid out, but what the resources will be required to accomplish that goal. And, and in Common Core, um, while the standards have been set, we're missing some really key um, uh, funding issues as related to professional development. Um, it's not enough to say that here's what children need to learn and need to be able to do. It's not enough. 
we need uh, support for teachers, um, and that's what I'm talking about in the pre-service, changing the way teachers understand what children do, uh, know, and need to be able to do, changing their ideas um, because, and the reason I say changing is because for the most part, when people enter pre-service education, you have to deconstruct what they have experienced um, as students in, in elementary and high school. And the reason you have to deconstruct it is because students who are coming into our schools today are significantly different from those who entered 15 years ago. Uh, just as a baseline. And so things are constantly changing. The cohorts that come to the schools um, in grade K today uh, are significantly different. And so um, they, they need to understand that. But the, the professional development, uh, the level of professional development that is required to bring teachers, and, and not all of them are weak teachers, but to bring teachers to the level where they are able to uh, implement instruction in a way that meets, uh, that will allow students to meet the standards and understand the, the content that are described in the standards, um, we, we need a significant amount of professional development to do that. Um, and I'm not, uh, I have not been convinced that the, the resources have been placed there. Uh, often uh, resources for, for professional development are among the first cut um, in a district that is strapped for cash. Um, and I'm not talking about professional development that, is, that involves individuals leaving uh, their home district to go uh, to a conference and sit in workshops. Um, those are valuable experiences. But even having individuals engaged in um, professional development in their district costs money. And a lot of times um, the public is unaware of the costs associated with doing professional development even within the district. So the, let, me, let me talk a little bit about what that, what that looks like. First, the professional development costs include um, contractual costs. Um, you, if teachers stay out after school, um, they're entitled to additional compensation, except for those days that have already been um, have been negotiated into their uh, uh, agreements. Um, secondly, um, when and some of the best practice I'll say um, uh, with professional development is the practice of observing teachers who do something well. And, and if you can go into a classroom and observe one of your colleagues at a school do something well, that's one of the best forms of professional development. Um, now, they, you might think that that has no cost associated with it, but it does. Generally, um, and even the most carefully scheduled um, professional development uh, uh, opportunities uh, have the same issue come up time and time again where you have to pay for um, uh, coverage. A teacher is out of the classroom. There has to be coverage, but it has to be coordinated, and that takes um, quite a bit of time and effort. Um, one, of the, one of the most 
um, important aspects of professional development needs to be, and it's not often considered, uh, the data that comes from what students need. And you might say, well, that might be obvious. Uh, I, um, I, I, there have been countless times that I have seen and even been asked to do professional development that is not in any way connected to what an analysis of data uh, from the school indicates is needed by teachers. Let me give you the example of this. Um, uh, sometimes uh, principals and superintendents and even board members go to conferences and they see something that a school is doing and they think uh, that is great and, and by and large they see very many innovative uh, interventions that are going on uh, but they, they come back and say we need to do X intervention strategy for reading and um, um, publishers, uh, they do a great, they have sales teams that come out and demonstrate and they sell a product to the district based on what someone saw uh, somewhere else. Um, and this is typically the way um, it has been decided. And of course, superintendents and board members alike sometimes do ask a lot of really good questions about um, what what the costs are and, and, and what, do, what can we expect um, by um, the end of the year or in two years. But what's most important in the consideration of any professional development programming uh, and decisions for intervention strategies, the best indicator is the data that comes from student uh, uh, test scores. And when, this, when the data reveals as an example, that students are weak in one area versus another, it is important to seek out professional development in those areas. That may sound um, like common sense. It is uh, common sense, is that we first identify the gap, and then we should seek um, to, um, to address the gap. Um, so it is, it is certainly something in professional development that we need, to, we need to focus on. And so this whole notion of so we have pre-service teacher education that needs to be addressed where we have more um, uh, educational opportunities for teachers to be in a clinical setting early on in pre-service and then teacher education from the professional development standpoint. And I think those, that would go a long way, and those strategies would go a long way to improve what we know, uh, first and foremost, is the biggest um, indicator of improving um, academic achievement uh, in our schools. Um, and so for those of you who have just joined us, you've, you've uh, joined us, the Perkins platform, it's a platform dedicated to uh, discussing educational issues in public education. Um, we're, today we're just talking a little bit about um, some of the, the issues and, and I'm spending some time uh, putting ideas out there about how we might go about addressing some of those. Uh, those of you who are interested in getting some questions to me today, feel free to email me at bp58 at columbia.edu. Again, again, it's bp58 at columbia.edu, and I'll take um, questions um, over email as they come along.
Um, I, I did think uh, about uh, one other area uh, that, as, as I started, uh, mentioned about teacher education, pre-service, and professional development. One other area uh, that is immediate rele immediately relevant to what we've been talking about all year um, in terms of leadership is leadership preparation. And um, there, there's been um, a, a, quite a bit of discussion about leadership um, in schools. Um, this is an ongoing um, dilemma about who, what it takes to be a good leader in education. Um, there was um, a period of time that we, we heard that we needed people to be more business-oriented. I think historically, um, principals and superintendents and leaders have come from the ranks of being a teacher. Um, and, and so there have been, kind of the results have been mixed about what it takes to be a good leader. But I think um, what's also important in leadership uh, and successful leadership is leadership preparation as well. Um, I transitioned in my career from teacher education, and it seems throughout the, the different um, adult positions in the education system went from teacher education to principal preparation. And not unlike teacher pre uh, preparation, there's some gaps uh, there as well. But I think what's most important at the uh, principal preparation um, component is um, decision-making, how to make decisions um, that um, impact um, the, both the school culture and climate, uh, the academic environment, and the school community. Um, Decision-making is a discrete set of skills, and often we have, we have spent a lot of time in principal preparation on theories. Um, I think um, we, we would benefit from giving um, our, our candidates and, and preparation programs for the principalship um, more simulations, more um, uh, opportunities to be put in and decision-making uh, scenarios. And um, I think that would go a long way uh, for helping us uh, understand um, uh, or, or and actually understand and train um, better um, uh, school leaders. I, I just got a question from one of our listeners um, that uh, asks, are teacher education programs teaching data literacy? If so, are they doing it well? This is an excellent question, um, and, and I, I, I know that there are some programs that are, are focusing on data literacy um, because it's, it's something that is uh, really important, um, but not I mean, it's just like I said earlier that not enough time is spent because we've, instead of thinking about preparation programs as programs, we, they're structured generally as, um, as series of courses. And we, we, that's not a good way to look at um, programming. And so data literacy should go throughout and should be focused, uh, a point of focus throughout 
courses through uh, all courses should have a data bin where we're we're exposing teachers to if they're teaching science methods what is the information you could use that lets you know that students are in fact uh, getting the um, the content you're delivering um, likewise um, how do you use that information um, how do you gather the data that helps you uh, make decisions on the spot in the classroom to change your your instructional program and that, and that's really important that's a really important consideration but I, I think um, the, the mostly um, data literacy is happening at as professional development in school districts, that most people are only really getting to consider um, data uh, once they get out and get into the classrooms. I know um, through some recent experiences I've had uh, with some districts, I've seen that, um, um, particularly in some charter schools, um, that some of the charter schools have started doing training um, a month in the summer for new teachers that are coming in and and two weeks for returning teachers, but they are talk they're they're doing professional development before the school year starts in a significant way um, this is it's not inexpensive it's very expensive um, uh, but um, they are getting results based on the the proficiency and the quality of their teachers so I think um, um, that that is an important consideration, um, and I and I do want to go back before we run out of time. I want to go back to the leadership preparation component and 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 where I am now at Teachers College, Columbia University, and um, and as the director of the Urban Education Leaders Program, it is a doctoral program. Uh, intended to prepare individuals that want to be urban school superintendents, and and the program has a a an extensive clinical component where um, students are doing work in districts um, to understand what actually happens in a school district, um, and not give not have the first hundred days in a superintendency um, be full of surprises and experimentation, um, but that they come prepared and 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 understand uh, because they've seen it before. They've been um, both in, in in the principal preparation as well as the superintendent preparation that they are and and that they have been um, doing um, internships that uh, prepare them um, well for for their uh, for their the jobs ahead of them and so there with with all of the challenges that we've seen both um, trying to negotiate and, and uh, going back to the, the year in review um, with with trying to negotiate um, and reach consensus in, in a teacher strike to um, figuring out what is best for your school district um, uh, in in implementation of Common Core standards and and changing teacher evaluation programs um, and managing um, staff morale in the middle of all of this are all very very important considerations. 
Um, and and we the challenge in public education is not going to go away overnight. But I I um, encourage those of you who are listening. We have many people who are board members and uh, education specialists, uh, people who have been uh, working for many years in education, um, and and we need you to remain on the front line, being advocates for public education. Um, there there are um, groups. And, and corporations that exist um, and, and have funded um, efforts to dismantle public education, and not just as we know it, but who really believe that public education um, is best as a private enterprise. Um, the manufacturing of widgets is suitable as a private enterprise. The manufacturer of car parts, good and suitable as a private enterprise. It is in the public's interest to make sure that we have the best teachers, the best prepared leaders in our schools. And that happens uh, and stays at the forefront because we are paying attention to the details. We are asking the critical questions and, and making sure that when it comes to preparation for these positions, that we don't take the, the path of least resistance, is that education should be a difficult area for um, uh, people to enter. It is, um, and has long been touted, one of the most noble professions. Um, we have to get the, the prestige and the respect back in the education that it deserves. And we do that by ensuring that our country's best and brightest view education as a viable employment and career option. Um, that while there are many who don't believe that it should be a career option, it is certainly something that's worth consideration. And so that's the way I see it. And until next time, go well. Stay well.